Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners to prepare their business for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast brought to you by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates Brownsword, and today I'm talking to Jason Skisik. Jason's got a fascinating background. Um, I don't normally talk about uh, serial type of entrepreneurs, but Jason's done a few things. So Jason, why don't you give us a bit about your background and um, and and then we'll dig into the the business uh, uh, CrossFit uh, piece that we're we're going to explore on the episode. Absolutely, Daryl. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so honored to be here. I've enjoyed our conversation so far. Um, yeah, so my background is is pretty simple. Coming out of school, um, I had all the energy in the world, but not enough, you know, focus or 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 direction. And so I did what so many young men and women all over the world do: as I joined the military. Uh, so I spent four years in the United States Army, uh, which certainly gave me all the discipline and and, uh, and hard work that I can handle. Um, and when I got out, I did two things. I I, uh, I went to school for finance and became a commercial banker. And at the same time, I started a, a CrossFit gym on a, on a fourth floor of a dusty old warehouse uh, in Chicago. Um, and then that's sort of where the story starts. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we built that gym, uh, spent some time in the corporate world, um, ended up going 100% entrepreneur and have since built that business among others and uh, have made a few exits as well along the way. So it's almost like you were sitting on the fence and couldn't decide which direction yeah. you were going to take after the military. Do I go down the corporate route or do I go down the entrepreneurial route? And, uh, okay, and, and pick up both sets of skills, which couldn't be more diverse if you'd, if you'd tried. But you, you went down, well, you did both, but the, the story we want to pick up on today is the CrossFit gym. So you started that from scratch? And yes, sir. Did you start that on your own or did you have some partners that you, you went into business with? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned we we absolutely did. Uh, it was myself and two other veterans. Uh, we started on I think we put in three thousand dollars U.S. each, uh, and we we built uh, we negotiated a seventy five hundred uh, square foot loft space in uh, in the top of this building for a thousand dollars a month. Which you know whether or not you know the conversion doesn't even matter. It was a ridiculous uh, deal because we had to walk past three almost empty floors to get to where ours was. So we we really aligned. Uh, we created a very kind of scary and spooky, but very efficient way to have a small business. And uh, yeah, we had we had uh, two partners uh, for the first several years. Great. So there's your warm up. You climb up the stairs to what was it? You know, a yeah. number of flights <laughs> of stairs to, to warm up. Yeah. Then you got a couple of uh, ex-military veterans who are going to you know put you through the ringer and work yeah. you out hard. And and yeah, they're not going to be soft on you. So you're guaranteed to get fit. Was was that the proposition? Yeah, pretty much. You know, what we did is we just decided, I think a lot of entrepreneurs will say the same thing. If I had known now what I knew then, I never would have started the business. But I'm so glad that I did because it gave me this opportunity in a very low stakes environment to learn what it's like to own a business, to learn what it's like to grow a community and a tribe of people and to, to start to have employees and, and pay rent and all those things that, you know, previously I'd never done. Um, but yeah, that was the proposition. We were just learning how to do it, uh, trying to stay three months ahead of our clients, you know, learning the things that we would teach them uh, and getting better and better. And, and that served us well for, for several years, but it certainly wasn't making very much money. Right. So how, how big did you get the business in terms of, I don't know, what a, a number of customers is a good measure? 
Sure. Uh, so to give you an idea, um, most CrossFit gyms, uh, most tribal service businesses that are uh, arranged around one central figure typically settle around what's called Dunbar's number. And so that number is the number at which humans can uh, have a tribe of people, right? A community of people where they all know each other and they understand the relationships that, that are kind of inner, inner between them. Um, and so most CrossFit gyms settle around 150 members. For the first seven years of our business, we would float between 100 members and 120 members. Um, but it wasn't until um, I decided to devote my entire career, my entire focus to building the business, I bought out my two partners, which we can discuss in more detail if you'd like, um, that we were able to go. It took us seven years to get to 200 members, and it took us six months to get to 300 members because of the the, the changes that we made. Um, and then ultimately, we ended up capping out at around 500 people in the room, which for a CrossFit gym is pretty pretty good size. That's huge. So just to give the, the listeners some, some context and perspective, <clears throat> how many members do you need to generate a pretty good living? Well, I would say with 150 members at sort of a mid-ticket pricing, um, you probably can afford to have yourself full-time and a few role players. Um, if you really want to have what I would call like a capital B business where you're not self-employed, where you're not the person energizing all the different roles and responsible for fulfillment, I think that number is probably more like 250 or 300 members where now you're actually an entrepreneur that's managing a team that's running on SOPs and systems and things like that. Yeah. So once you've got about 300 members, you're now running a business, you're a business owner, as opposed to someone who's, who's self-employed and, and, and employed in the business and got some people around them. Okay. <clears throat> so three, 250, 300 members, we've got a business, we, we've got, we, we're starting to look like we've got something to sell an asset rather than just an income stream. And, and at that quantity of, of, of members, how many staff do you, do you have? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a good question. Um, so uh, we had about seven full time people at our peak. Um, that was a, a really good, uh, I'd call it about a two year run where we had about seven full time people. And then we've always had and this is very common in the industry, sort of passionate amateurs that would be would they would take a few shifts a week that we would train to coach they were you know teachers or police officers or firemen sometimes we had professors or i think we had a few doctors and they would be coaches three times a week or something so we had maybe 15 people total on our staff uh but seven of that seven of them were what i called soldiers so we separated yeah. our team into into soldiers and bar fighters you know bar fighters are great uh you don't want to mess with them but they don't train together they don't sleep together they don't travel together those soldiers are the ones that those those folks were really tight they were dialed in they understood the principles behind all of the things that they needed to they were in continuing education we went on trips together uh they were on salary things like that okay and then so so you, you had partners and you, you, you in the early years um the business sort of grew at, at a you know a reasonable growth pattern but but not nothing fantastic once you you bought out your two partners that's correct yeah so when you bought them out how many members did you have i'll Four. never forget when I bought them out, I had 93 members and we were billing about $9,000 a month. 
Uh, we were undercharging. Um, we the way we had gotten where we were over the first seven years of that business was by the three of us sort of collectively doing everything. There was no roles. There was no responsibilities, really. And so each of us was responsible for wearing all the hats, for breaking down all the brick walls, for having that magic between our ears that made the business go forward. And this is why we were stuck, unable to break through that Dunbar's number or that population growth that ultimately a business would be required for. Yeah. And you're at 93 members. You've got three charismatic guys, I take it. Yeah. Um, you know, all fighting for the limelight, you know, big, healthy, strong guys. Um, but you're under that 250 sort of marker, so you're, you're sort of self-employed, taking a bit of an income each. So it's a self-employed business. There's three guys in it self-employed. You decide to buy them out. How did you determine a valuation? How did you agree a price to buy them out? Yeah, it's a good question. So they came to me um, – uh, with a serious conversation, they had talked and they were like, look, we're young men. We've both got our, our wonderful, beautiful, intelligent women. We'd like to move on with our careers and do something else. Um, and so the, the really the alternative was to shut it down. It was, it was not what I would call a business yet. And yeah. it was just, it was it starting to impact folks' lives. Right. And so when they brought that to me, you know, I slept on it. I thought that night, I thought, could I imagine waking up the next day without that tribe there, without the group of people that were walking around that that I cared about, that were our constituents? Uh, there were babies at this point that were being born that had their parents had met in our community. And I just couldn't imagine that. Yeah, I just couldn't imagine that as being a reality. And so, Daryl, I went to them uh, and I basically gave them an offer. Um, and, and the way that I would say it is I offered to let the business buy them out over a period of time with the with the stipulation that if whatever reason we went under that I wouldn't personally be owing them money. So I, I bought them out on an earn out um, a, a series of payments over the course of five years. Um, and I came up with a price basically of this is what the debt service the business can handle. So it was, you know, a payment of X dollars per month for the next period of five years. Um, and to them, you know, the alternative was shutting it down. And of course, you know, as is the case with all of my former partners, um, you know, we you know, we, we've always been who we said we were. We're still friends today. Uh, and so it's a very as business sales go, it was a very friendly uh, business yeah. sale. So it's almost a backroom bar, mates rate deal. Here's what I commit. But if the business doesn't continue for that five years, then then we're all off the hook. Yeah. So fair um, with integrity, but you might say appropriate for a business of that size and scale. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, at this point, it was it, it was chattel. <laughs> at this point, it was it was just you know we we, we probably had a book value of twenty thousand dollars, you know, maybe a little bit more, um, you know. But what I will say is, I bought them down to ten percent. They each retained ten percent, and then I ended up giving them several thousand, many thousands of dollars uh, through quarterly distributions. Once we did create a, a, a full on business, which I'm very proud of, is is that you know the folks that counted on me and the folks that counted on us. We also had a a third partner who. Who, uh, who had put some money into the business uh, after the three of us started it. And every one of those people made money um, at, well, well as the owner, which I'm very, very proud of. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll touch on that in a second, Jason. So let's call it the next day. You're, you're now the sole owner. They've gone off and, and, and explored what, what they're going to do next in their lives. You had about, I think, 93 members at the time. Did you lose any members when those two other charismatic guys left? 
No, I think uh, I think they well they stuck around. They were still in town. They were still at the gym. Uh, again, it was all very friendly, um, and and uh, there was really no um, no strife there. Um, what really had to happen was I had to change from you know what was just a what was a pond. I had to turn a pond into a pool, if that makes sense. I had to take something that just sort of existed, but was a little muddy in the water and make it into something that was beautiful and something that ran well and smoothly and was predictable and could actually serve the clients at a higher level and make real predictable income for myself and the staff. Turn it into a business. So what was the first thing you did? The first thing I did as someone who was not making any money was spent $12,000 on a product that I had no business buying, and that was coaching from a mentor, uh, and I had to pay off $12,000, and the deal was if I spent – if I could pay back $1,000 a week for 10 weeks, I could get off the hook. And so uh, they basically gave me an entire operating system for how to build a brick-and-mortar gym up, uh, particularly at the front end. The company is called – uh, Jim Launch, by the way, uh, Alex Hormozzi is the, the owner of that company. Um, and it was very early, so I didn't know that it was going to work. Uh, I was like the seventh client that they signed up. And, of course, that company went on to do great things and nothing but love and respect for those guys. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. And so taking this leap of faith, it really was sort of doubling down on my own bankruptcy there. I was like, listen, if we're going to do it, we need to ask people who've done it before. We need to learn from the people in the room who know. Um, and sure enough, we did. Uh, we put our backs to the wall, my wife Donna and I. Um, and we went from $9,000 a month to $90,000 a month from a hundred or from 93 members to well over 200 members in about 14 months from that time. Okay. Well, so you brought in some advice, some consulting from people who knew what they were doing. It'd been industry specialists, but business growth specialists in this sector said, Jason, here's what you got to do. You're going, I'm paying for this expertise. Let me implement it. And it worked. <clears throat> That's correct. Yeah. So you turned it into a business over uh, the next couple of years. You built it up, um, paid off all your debts, <clears throat> i.e. to the, 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 the gym consultants, bought out your, your partners, um, got the business scaled up. So you're taking some dividends out of it now. So it's a profitable business. <clears throat> and yep. just... What were some of the things that some of the initiatives or strategies that these guys told you to put in place that, that started bringing, you know, generating additional revenue and profit? Well, you know, my story is is um, is interesting, but it's not unique. There's so many people. Fitness is a particularly big one for this, but there's so many people that are passionate about the things that they start, the businesses that they build. And yeah. they think, I want to be a personal trainer. I want to be a chiropractic practitioner, a doctor rather. Um, and so what they do is they, they focus all of their time and energy on fulfillment, on giving a great service. And they become the greatest personal trainer in town or the best chiropractor or massage therapist or whatever you could go down the list and unfortunately they open the doors and nobody walks through the doors because they haven't answered the most important questions in their business which are the boring ones like how do we acquire clients and how do we retain those clients and how do we bill them on a regular uh, basis and how do we capitalize on the value of things like contracts right and and so these things these questions were just they weren't answered poorly, Daryl. They were just not considered because yeah. this was a hobby up until that point for us. Um, and so we were fine with just being able to make rent. But as soon as as soon as I uh, 
quit my job and, and, and focused myself completely. Well, I had been a financial analyst, so these things were very easy for me to understand when someone was, was challenging me to put them in place in the business. Um, and so we started to run a front-end offer that generated enough cash flow to liquidate our cost to acquire a client. Um, we very quickly uh, developed systems of converting those front-end trial members into long-term members of the tribe. Uh, and then we were bolting things on like supplements and apparel and events and challenges and all of these other things, um, not just increasing the value per client, which we did by many factors, um, but increasing the outcome. So for the first seven years of the business, if you were like me and you came in, you had a great time. But if you weren't and you hadn't grown up in sport and you hadn't uh, been in the gym recently, you did okay. Now we were actually taking regular people and making them into what I would call athletes uh, because there was so much more opportunity. We could afford nicer equipment. We were able to invest in education. We were able to offer services that we previously could only dream of. Um, and so because of that, the, the tide just raised all of the ships with regards to our community community as well as the business. Okay, so what I'm hearing is is all the business fundamentals are focusing on on what it is about your business. Why should people become members of your CrossFit gym? Um, you know, getting the marketing out to spread the word to, you know, all those people and where where they congregate and meet so that they hear the message. Getting them in so that they they get an experience and and converting them into clients and once their clients upsell, cross-sell, you know, build on their loyalty so that they stay and you, you start to think about the lifetime value of the client. And then it's so much easier to keep a client than to find a new client and, and all of those business principles. What you haven't said, but I, I'm assuming based on, on the conversation you're having, is that you also did a whole lot of measuring and reporting and monitoring of all that information so you knew what was working and what wasn't working so that you you basically had a, a system in action and you've talked about SOPs for, for the listeners that aren't aware that's standard operating procedures uh, so that the business systems and processes were documented and everyone who was exposed to them knew what they was expected of them, knew what had to happen. So it was consistent, repeatable, reliable. Absolutely. And I also implement, so I did the three things that I would say that were most um, accretive to my success was number one, I hired a consultant who helped me to understand and implement a very specific front end acquisition system. Number two was I implemented that book over your shoulder traction, right? I took, I took the entrepreneur's operating system. I, I created core values and a mission. I understood my goals. I understood those things that were going to move this business forward and built the intellectual assets of the, of, of those S SOPs and systems, right? And number yeah. three, you're absolutely right, was we had the most comprehensive uh, key performance indicator tracking that I've seen in any fitness business. Um, and so we were, and, and not just that, but I, but I incorporated an employee for each section of that KPI and they became, they had ownership of it. So for yeah. the first few weeks of that, I would ask them to tell me the story. So the one that was in charge of our marketing funnel, let's say I would, I would tell them the story and then it, very quickly they were telling me the story. And so very quickly I had a team full of soldiers who understood what levers they could pull within the business to get a desired result and the buy-in we got from that was astounding because yeah. now I wasn't just dictating from some tower. I was asking them, Hey, we got 12 new clients last week. That's great. Why? And they would have to give me an answer. And if they gave me an answer that was fluff, then I would 
let them know politely that that was fluff or sometimes less politely. And then we would find it together. But very quickly, I had an analytical team of people who formerly were just interested in fitness. And this was a really, um, a really formative moment for me as a professional, because I realized that as long as people's passions, what they wanted, the outcome they wanted, which in this case was to help people uh, get fitter and, and live happier and healthier lives, as long as I could uh, build the bridge of narrative between the outcome that they were passionate about and the numbers or the tactics or the KPIs or the SOPs, I could get buy-in within the team. And that that really was the rocket fuel that, that took us to where we went. And, and, and what I'm hearing, Jason, is that people knew what was expected of them. It, it became clear. So they were no longer just showing up and, and doing what they, they did and, you know, and whatever, change, you know, Jason's changing his mind. Um, they, they knew it was expected of them. They did it. They performed it. They, they, the, the measurements were, were there. And then they, they were all involved in analyzing it and going, how do we do better? So that's brilliant. That's, that's great news to hear. And, and you followed, you know, the, the traction and there's a couple other books that are similar, but it's yeah. a great proven process, um, in, in how to scale and, and grow a business sustainably. So the business is now getting to the stage where, uh, it's no longer dependent on you showing up and you know, your energy, your passion, your drive, your call on the shots on everything. The business is now run by the systems and these people doing it themselves. <clears throat> You've got 500 members, um, showing up, you're on selling, cross selling, you you got it a whole lot more profitable. You, this is the time that you've decided what, what led to you thinking it's time for me to leave this business. Yeah, you know, I would say about uh, a year prior to me selling, maybe maybe longer than that, about 18 months prior to me selling, uh, I was asked to help coach uh, in the organization that had helped me in, in gym launch. Uh, and so I became a part-time coach. This was basically just a side project. But as soon as I started talking to other entrepreneurs in very much the way that we're talking right now, mm-hmm. man, I was hooked. I've never gotten off of a phone call with an entrepreneur and not had more energy than when I got on. I just, I love it. Um, And so what I found was I didn't, the business didn't need my time and focus as much. A few hours a week would be fine. And then of course I was there for my own personal health, right? Um, So uh, I was coaching other entrepreneurs. Um, Alex, the guy who owns that company, didn't want uh, he didn't want to have part-time coaches anymore, and I'm nobody's employee. So ultimately, myself and a partner started a small business of coaching other brick-and-mortar gym owners to go through similar success that we were uh, having. And so because of that, I was doing these two things at the same time, which probably could have continued for some time. Uh, but I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, in 2020, the world shut down. <laughs> and the I fitness business. <laughs> And it turns out that that interrupted the fitness business about as badly as you could be interrupted, and especially in Chicago, where I'm from. Um, yep. And so, you know, there was a there was a, a one year period over 2020, let's just say, where we went from shutdown for many months um, to desperately having to ramp up our efforts in the coaching business to try try and help others to thrive and survive through this. Um, and my wife and I decided to move from our city home in Chicago to the Indiana Dunes National Park, which is about an hour away, which is where I'm talking to you from now. And so because of that, it just all of the stars had aligned um, to where 
where I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to, I didn't want to be, you know, the charismatic central figure of this tribe from an hour away, especially when I knew that I was going to be dedicating my time and attention primarily to coaching other entrepreneurs. I had ascended my focus. And so because of that, um, it was what you're supposed to do, what the goal is. The guy who I had been training, Andrew uh, Westcott, who's doing a fantastic job, he was my GM. He he was the one who was learning all the analytics. He was the one who was learning all of the things that we had put into place. Um, I worked out a, a negotiated deal with Andrew to, to buy out the majority of my ownership in the gym. Uh, I still own a small percent and still act as a consultant to Andrew, of course, and still go to events and love those folks. Uh, but when we moved, that was what really facilitated the move. Okay. So at this point in time, the, <clears throat> you'd built the business up to the point where it's a viable business now. It's on a business as opposed to a, yeah, a personal income, personal um uh, self-employed model. Yep. How did you value the business this time around? Well, believe it or not, I actually brought in uh, the help of a couple of valuation experts, a couple yep. of business brokers uh, that I consulted with. This was certainly something that I was comfortable doing as a financial analyst, but I wasn't comfortable doing ethically as somebody trying to sell my own business. So I was pleased with the numbers that they came back with. Um, and then again, because of 2020, you know, there was this huge variable. And so to take the business to an open market was just not a viable option. It was not, uh, there was just no way that people would, would, um, would be willing to, at least it seemed like it wasn't going to happen for me. So we didn't really look at that as an option. And frankly, I would rather it go to somebody who really believed in the community, who knew the people. This was the ideal outcome for a CrossFit yep. gym is to sell it to somebody from within. Um, and so similarly, we worked out an agreement um, where there was a, a, a payment plan as well as a down payment uh, that was more than satisfactory to me. Um, and because of the favorability of the terms, <laughs> I was able to get the number that I was more happy with. Um, and so that was a, a very, again, a very smooth uh, transition for us. Thank you. So well done. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thanks. And, and yeah, because you know, they were scary times uh, during, during lockdown. And, you know, we can look back now and talk about all the rights and wrongs, but when we're in the thick of it. You know, it, it was, it was uncertainty. <clears throat> so, You've been through the, you, you, you sort of bought out your partners, you, you grew the business and you, you've then sold it on the bulk of it. So having been through that, that journey sort of twice, what do you know now? What have you learned now, you know, having been on the back end of it and also helping others that you wish you knew before? This is, this is a crux of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to draw out your key learnings, um, you know, that you can share with other business owners and, and may or may not be in the same industry, but you know, the process you've shared is pretty much the same. Yeah. And I would say that my advice will definitely go across industries. I think number one um, is, and by the way, I say this as somebody who's still friends with all of my former partners uh, and there are other exits we haven't talked about and they're, I'm still friends with them too. Um, and so what I would say is number one, have an ironclad uh, operating agreement, one that has very clear terms of what is to be done with equity when you want a separation, uh, whether that's one partner wants to buy or sell, whether that's both want to buy or sell, whether that's somebody wants to sell to a third party without uh, permit. These things need to be covered when you form the business, because that is going to absolutely be the easiest and most viscous time for that to happen. Right. Um, and I think so. Yeah. So, so few people want to discuss the prenup 
well, on the first date, right? But yeah. but this is what you should be doing. Uh, and certainly the lesson that I've learned, if I were to take on additional partners in the future, which I don't plan on, but I could, um, I do enjoy collaborative work. Uh, I would absolutely have an ironclad. I love things like Texas shootouts, which I'm just going to uh, just run down really quick. There's a bunch of different types of clauses that you can put into operating agreements, but I love ones like Tetra Texas shootouts where that is basically where you uh, – one partner makes an offer to the other, and then that partner has the ability to either accept the offer or they can buy their partner out at that price. And the nice thing about that is it creates sort of a natural um, fairness in the way that people come up with their their offers. And there's other versions of that with different uh, variants on that clause. Um, the second thing um, that I w took away from it was if you're going to sell it, in most cases, you should sell all of it. Um, and, and that's not what I did. And, and I do regret that. Um, I retained a percentage. I retained some percentage of the company, 25%. Um, and because of that, it's enough where I have an opinion and feelings about the way that things are done, but really not enough to where there's any real ability to make changes uh, for the type of business I'm talking about. Certainly, if you own 25% of Apple, you're in good company. But I guess I'm talking about a small business like mine. Um, I would have rather either retained more of it or sold all of it. Um, I describe it as like, it's like you raise a child to adolescence and then you just give it to another family. Uh, and yeah, you get to still see it on the weekends, but it, it just is not quite the same. Uh, and the third thing I, I, I would uh, relate to your audience and yourself is as a service business, this is a little bit more technical, but as a service business that has contracted um, clients, um, capitalize those contracts, especially if you can, um, especially if you're, obviously if your uh, tax law allows for it. Um, my business went up in value by like seven times over the course of one conversation. Uh, and it was when I walked into that conversation with my accountant, um, we were not capitalizing our contracts. And to give you an idea, we had about 400 members at this time paying us $300 a month uh, for a year. And so these, this is a lot of money. Uh, and we had been collecting over 95% of our uh, of our membership dues. And so we had this track record of collection. We had this, um, you know, uh, what is it? A deferred asset of, uh, of these contracts uh, that were going to be paid out over the course of a year. And just by having that conversation and sort of vetting that out and providing them with, a, with you know, all of the documentation, our value literally went up by seven times because previous to that, you know, a service business like a gym, you know, your value is the rubber on the floor. It's the, you know, some marginal amount for, you know, the, the, the client list, um, also little tiny things. And so our book value was, was just nothing uh, compared, to the, to, compared to the commerce we were doing. And so we had actually been rejected by a commercial bank early on in this process. And I remember at the time, having been a commercial analyst, being like, this is ridiculous. We absolutely are a healthy and, and growing and quickly growing company with a ton of, um, of momentum and also stability because of these contracts. And so it wasn't until that we capitalized those contracts that our business had real value that, um, that I could take to market or take to an analyst or an underwriter at a bank. Okay. <clears throat> so... So just for, for, for the listeners out there, number one is is get a shareholder agreement in place and, and get it right at the beginning while the energy is good and, you know, when you don't need it. Um, but it's just going to go, how, how are we going to separate ways um, if we decide to do that at some point in time? Um, and if I do get out, if I'm going to exit the business, you said, you know, one of the things you, you wish you had done is I should have exited everything. I shouldn't have kept anything um, at all because 
it sort of kept me emotionally bonded, but but I didn't have the influence that I that I once had, and that kind of hurt. <clears throat> and the third one is um, the way I've interpreted it. I know you said capitalize your contracts, but what I heard is is have a look at all of the intangible assets in your business, and present them. Um, and communicate and explain them so to demonstrate and explain and the, the value to the potential acquirer to really bring forward value and present the value to, um, in, in ways that uh, they can understand and, and, and help value your business. So that that's brilliant advice, Jason. I, I really appreciate those insights and, and that's really helpful. Of course. So what are you doing now? Well, so now uh, what I've done, I... Um... When I moved to Indiana, I was still a part of a two-person consulting group that worked with brick-and-mortar gym owners, um, and I just realized very quickly that the thing that I loved, the thing that changed my life and my business's outcome wasn't about fitness. It wasn't the types of uh, offers we were doing about weight loss or strength gain or any of those things. It was the thing that's on that book behind your shoulder, right? It was the stuff like core values and mission and understanding the roles and responsibilities in a team. It was building a money machine that does not require its owner to run. And so that's what I do now is I, I help entrepreneurs um, that have learned because to get where we, where I was, we had to do all those things. We had to wear all the hats. We had to break through the brick walls. We had to generate magic from between our ears, right? And so what I do now is I take those folks who are already successful but can't break through because those skills that they got there with are the things that are holding them back from being able to scale that magic into science to their team and then thereby to the world. And so what I do now is I help folks uh, to, to build and, and, and to run those types of systems. Uh, and we also have a mastermind that is um, for entrepreneurs that, that we bring in expert guest speakers, as well as have small group masterminding, because that also was a big part of my progress, was being in conversation with people that were like what I wanted to be, that were further down the path, and being in mastermind with people that were like me in the, in the, in the foxholes, you know, fighting our way towards our, the futures that we had in our dreams. Okay. And are you doing that with, with, uh, through a, a franchise or, or, or a framework, or is it your own um, you know, what you're, we've learned and, and applying that. Yeah, for me, so it's Spear and Clover is my company. Spear and Clover is a podcast. Uh, Spear and Clover is a mastermind. And then Spear and Clover has a course called Dynasty Defined. Um, and those things all live within, within the umbrella. And the Spear and Clover symbol, which is what's on my hat and on my shirt, and here on my forearm, uh, it's a core value tattoo, right? It's a core value uh, symbol. Uh, and what it stands for are the two things that make me me and the two things that make some of my favorite people my favorite people. And so one is the spear, which is military mindset. Of course, we're hard charging towards our goals. We're working as hard as we can. Uh, but the other that balances that is the spirit of the puppy. It's taking time to enjoy life and pursuing those things that we're passionate about. Play. It's about enjoying your life that you're building as an entrepreneur entrepreneur now. And so a lot of times it's the balance of pursuit of not just my business mastery, but my family and social harmony, as well as my personal mastery, right? And so those three things together create harmony. And that's where entrepreneurs can really do anything is where they're not held back by these, you know, um, inconsistence or poor relationships in the rest of their life. Yeah. So what you're doing by the sounds of it is everything you've learned through the process of building and growing a business and, and exiting it is helping other entrepreneurs, you know, learn from your learnings so that they don't fall into the same traps you did and they get there faster. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the way I like to say it is if you're stuck in your business, we can give you the tools to be out of your business day to day, putting out fires in 90 days. So that's what we do. Brilliant. Hey, Jason, look, I really appreciate you sharing your insights with us. It's been fantastic. Some absolute top tips there for listeners. Appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Daryl. I appreciate your time. Um, and if you're still listening to this, go like, uh, subscribe, and review this podcast because he's doing such a great job. And this is a, a great free form of entertainment and education. Thank you. Thank you.